Welcome to On the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. All right, welcome back to On the Table Gaming, episode 39. Uh, I'm really excited today because I get to have someone on that I met at Capticon, who was, I actually didn't get to play against this person in the tournament, but it's Mike from Off the Wall. It's a Massachusetts store where that's got a great A Song of Ice and Fire community. And I've been talking about this guy on past episodes because he's someone who's really committed to playing neutrals. And actually, in my local meta, there there actually are no straight-up neutral players. And uh, this guy's been taking some of these basic units in a faction that is kind of maybe, some might argue, not as fully developed as others. And he's been making it really work. And so let's jump in. And Mike, welcome onto the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. And I'm so excited to talk about, you know, the neutral faction and, of course, you know, A Song of Ice and Fire in general. So thanks for coming on. Thank you. It's great to be here. So uh, before we jump into this, you know, what's what's kind of your gaming background? Like, how did you come to A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game? I've pretty much been a, a tabletop war gamer uh, most of my life. Um, of course, starting with the big ones, uh, Warhammer 40K, War Machine, Warhammer Fantasy, and I really felt like there wasn't a great uh, rank and file war game out there. And then I stumbled across the Kickstarter for Song of Ice and Fire, and I've uh, uh, pretty much been with it since day one. And have you been playing neutrals since day one, or how did you get into neutrals? Almost exclusively neutrals. I saw during the Kickstarter they were kind of like this um, weird third faction. I really <laughs> like the miniatures, um, so yeah, I, I just went for it and. You know, I've, I've, you know, dabbled with a few other, um, mostly playing Lannisters on the side, but uh, definitely since the beginning, uh, mostly neutral. Yeah, which is really interesting. I, I'm excited to get into kind of pick your brain a little bit here, uh, because I think what's, you know, despite we've had some polls in the past about like which faction is, you know, what people feel is the worst. And when we did that a few months ago, people were like, oh, it's, you know, nights, uh, it was a uh, free folk are so so underpowered or whatever, undertuned. Uh, but at the same time, when I look at like what lists, what what uh, factions can bring to the table, uh, I always felt like the neutral faction was kind of in a weird spot in that I feel like they can do a lot of things, but they they don't necessarily double down as hard as a lot of other factions do on a very specific thing. And maybe you'll, maybe you'll disagree with that. Um, but I don't know, like what would you say is like the overall play style of the neutral faction? They're definitely um, a little bit squishy right now, with the exception of uh, Flayed Men. Um, right, but, <laughs> which is know. the unit from like day one. People were like, how is this possible? Are they, are they invincible? They're a great unit, and they really cover a lot of the weaknesses in the faction, but they are um, a huge point investment. So yeah. um, I wouldn't necessarily consider them an auto-include in most of my lists, um, even though they do do a lot of work when I do use them. Um, I think we are very fortunate. Uh, Bolton Cutthroats are probably, I'll go go out and say it, the best five-point unit in the game. Uh, All right, just straight up, like with no attachment? You think no the attachment. Best? The cheaper, the better. Um, you know, you... By taking the attachment, you really um, end up covering their uh, weaknesses rather than uh, making them stronger. And they're already really great uh, throwing eight dice, hitting on threes with Vicious. And if the unit hasn't activated, you're getting that 
a vulnerable token as well, which is a huge piece of utility. And the more you, more of them you take, the better they tend to be. Yeah. So that can get you kind of a, so if you got, you know, three or, you know, some extra units of bull and cutthroats, it's going to basically guarantee more opportunities to use that spike mace ability. Exactly. Hmm. So is that in, in most of your list, is that kind of your, your cornerstone unit? I tend to take um, three uh, vanilla units and just about every list I run, I think for 15 points, you really can't do a lot better than that. Let's go down each of the units here then and maybe talk about how you see them in your in your list when you use them. And then maybe we can talk about like a sample list you might have. Oh, certainly. So you're saying House Bolt and Cutthroats are the pound for pound, possibly the best unit in a Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game. That's a bold claim. But what about a one that I feel like people are pretty split on? Kind of one of the running jokes we see in the the not on the table Discord, the Song of Ice and Fire Discord is the Bastard Girls. Uh, some people really think that unit is horrible. Other people think it's very very powerful. Where do you fall on that? Um, they definitely require a little setup to use. I can definitely say from my own experience, the first couple. Maybe two, three times I ran them, I found them really underwhelming, but they do require a little setup. You can't run them out in the open and expect them to do well. They really want to be hanging back a little bit where they can take a lot of, a couple of shots. Well, it's just tough because it's a seven point unit, which isn't necessarily a tremendous amount of points, but it's for what it is, it's uh, it's got armor of six, five plus morale. That's not you know, horrible, I guess, after playing Free Folk for a while here. Uh, but I think their strength really is, right, their Tracker's Bow and Blade and Fang, being able to combine with that Order Sikkim, where after the unit completes a ranged attack, they can use an order to make a free charge action against the target enemy, meaning that you're basically getting your four attacks from range and then your six from the charge with a reroll. So about sort of 10, 10 shots. And if at any point during those tracker bow shots, they roll a one on their defense saves, they become vulnerable. So there is the potential to push out a lot of damage. But after talking with Yano last week about how there's not a lot of units that can delete an entire unit in one go, I mean, you're getting 10 hits on somebody. They do have to take a panic test. You actually have to take the two panic tests. Two panic tests. I think tests. is uh, what people forget. And you can really uh, do a lot of damage with that. And I think that's really where... Um, their strength flies, um, especially against low-armored units. They also are uh, deceptively uh, defensive in that they don't lose any effectiveness until you get to that last rank. So sure, you are only saving on sixes, um, which does make you immune to sundering, which is uh, a nice little bonus <laughs> I like to throw in there. <laughs> and so, the, yeah, I guess you're right then. So as far as the damage output, this is actually a pretty resilient unit i guess in that sense so you'll be think, threatening for a long time uh, especially since we'll have um braun officially releasing in uh neutral heroes 2 he's just a fantastic attachment for this unit and if anybody hasn't uh tried him yet maybe if you don't own the model i would definitely consider proxying it uh that's where you can start to get up to uh 12 dice per activation if not more Oof. yeah man okay so compared to the, you know, the general scheme of neutrals, where would you put the bastard girls? We had to kind of rank them, maybe like a, an arbitrary made up one to 10, one to 10 system here, you know, bolt and cutthroats are like a 10 out of 10 bastard girls, really? maybe. I'd, I'd probably give them a, a seven or eight there. I, I do okay. think they're a little bit harder to use. Uh, do you ever, is this ever a unit that you might spam? 
we actually have one other uh, local player who has in the past run three units of bastards girls and it's actually done surprisingly well with them uh they're great against free folk actually yes yeah <laughs> that's that's definitely true i feel like you could probably even with a poor panic test you could probably kill them off the tracker's bow shot in the beginning well, i've seen it happen i actually had a game recently where i was trying to charge a unit of archers the uh, stark archers and accidentally had them panic off on the ranged attack itself. Um, I was really oh, hoping to get yeah. on the objective uh, right. with the charge, oh, yeah. and uh, that just left me out in the open. <laughs> you're, you're too good for your own uh, your own good. I felt bad for my opponent there, but uh, I think I ended up uh, worse for it. And then I guess comparing that, we've got then the opposite end of the spectrum. We got a two-plus armor-saved unit in the Flademen, which are as a 10-point unit, movement speed 5. They get a war flail, 3-plus to hit on 8, and then 6 at their second rank. Their cavalry, they've got critical blow with their war flail, and it's got vicious. And then each time an enemy engaged with this unit fails a panic test, one other enemy within long range of that unit becomes panicked. Now, you're saying this isn't something you necessarily auto-include. Um, you know, what do you see as the, the main strengths? Like, if there's a new player just getting into the neutral faction, or they're considering playing neutrals, you know, what, what do you think are the key things to have as a takeaway for when you want to field the flayed men? They're definitely great in game modes where you want more movement. The faction of itself, including the tactics deck, really has no ways to get extra movement um, outside of claiming the maneuver zone of the tactics board. So this is really something that can um, take objectives. Uh, I almost... Uh, always take it for Clash of Kings. That has been incredibly oh. helpful. Um, yeah, just having that extra speed and the really durable frame with the solid attack profile. Uh, I don't think they're the ultimate uh, end-all be-all, but if uh, properly supported, uh, they could do really well. And adding that, uh, I would definitely take three NCUs with them if you can. They really are uh, okay. research-heavy. So yeah. So that's how you're, well, I guess with that being said, we still actually do have one other unit that is yet unreleased, the House Bolton Black Cart, and they've got movement speed of four, spiked flail, it's a four plus to hit, and they hit on seven, five, three. They've got a three plus armor save, which is rather nice, six plus morale, and then horrific visage. Each time the enemy targets this unit with a melee attack, that enemy suffers a panic test before resolving the attack. Have you thought at all about how this might shake up the way you play neutrals when they come out? I think it would definitely be a great unit, especially at only six points, to be able to hold objectives. In games like Game of Thrones, it uh, really behooves you to have as many activations as you can possible. And here, having a nice, uh, relatively affordable six-point option that can kind of go out and hold objectives and uh, potentially contest objectives will be really helpful. Now, does this become like the new cornerstone unit of your neutral army, though? Like, you know, the Bolton Cutthroats, great 15 points. You got three units of them. You could just get two units of House Bolton Blackguard with some attachments. Do you see that as, you know, maybe your new replacement foundational piece? Oh, I might end up uh, dropping a Flayed Man on one of my uh, lists and uh, freeing up a little more points to maybe include them. I am working on one list right now that runs four units of Bolton Cutthroats and two units of Blackguard. Uh, I think that'll Ooh. give you, uh, there'll be nine activations. 
um, in that list, okay. which will be, uh, I think, really strong for objective-based games. Now, do you find, you know, as a neutral player, not having that many unit options, you often have to spam units. Also, one of your options, the Flademan, that's a 10-point unit. And even the Bastard Girls are somewhat expensive. Do you find that you are often out-activated? Or do you try and always get to that certain, like, you know, eight-plus activations? I'll typically, and this is for any of my uh, lists building for 40 points, I tend to aim for seven to eight activations, eight activations if I'm running an NCU commander. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually do find I have a much easier time uh, building lists for neutrals compared to other factions. There's just so many uh, great options out there, uh, so many great attachments that I actually have a really hard time uh, building lists for, let's say, Lannisters. Um, oh, interesting. So, yeah, neutrals, and I, I think for newer players as well, if maybe uh, the faction that you want to play hasn't been released yet, I think that this one would be a great one to start off. Learn the rules really well. You don't need a ton of units to make it successful, and then you'll be able to um, also benefit from them from when, let's say, Baratheons or Targaryens finally get released. Yeah, I guess Oh, I find interesting is a lot of times people look at armies and they'll buy them just like on the theme alone. And uh, having met you at Capticon, actually before I came up, they even like messaged me and you're like, hey, do you want me to like get you a drink or a beverage while we're playing a game? You're like, you're like super nice guy. And you're playing kind of like, you know, there's a lot of bad guys in Game of Thrones and even like good and evil is sort of nebulous in a, in a lot of ways. But I think most people can agree that like House Bolton, which is the majority of the neutrals right now, they're 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 pretty bad like is it you know, what kind of drew you to to that was the theme at all a, a thought when you when you picked up this faction i i'm a huge fan of the books going back for years <laughs> and um uh Roose bolton was always an interesting character he got a lot of face time and uh dance with dragons and he's mm. kind of he's really nice on the ex- uh, exterior very pleasant and mild-mannered but a few Turn him the wrong way, he'll he'll uh, kill you over dinner. So interesting. Okay, so wait a second. Does that mean there wasn't like something in that drink you gave me or something? It's gonna be. Are you, are you saying you're like I'm a super nice guy, but uh, watch out. Yeah, no, I probably won't. Uh, <laughs> I probably won't poison anyone. But <laughs> that's uh, that's okay, Yano. You're safe for now. If you're uh, listening. Oh yeah, he doesn't take anything uh, from. Uh, I think my favorite. Uh, Bruce uh, Bolton quote is, uh, power tastes best when sweetened by courtesy. <laughs> so, okay, then speaking of Bruce Bolton, um, and now is that a commander that you often run? Like, who's your go-to commander for the neutrals? I think um, it's almost been Bruce from day one. Um, immediately, um, NCU commanders seem like a really powerful option. Um, I'm happy that there's been an addition of more game types that would um, encourage yeah. players to take a field commander. Uh, because I, I think NCU commanders are just that strong. And without that sort of incentive, um, I don't think any really competitive player would um, take them short on maybe um, having some tactics cards that they particularly enjoy. And there are some particular tactics cards that Rus has that are is also very powerful. Uh, calculated cruelty. Uh, when an enemy activates, when a panicked enemy activates, expend a panic token from that enemy that unit and its attachments lose all abilities this round. If they are within short range of a House Bolton unit, they also suffer D3 wounds. You know, that's a that's a pretty good pack to card to have in your back pocket there. 
Uh, that's probably one of my uh, uh, favorite cards of his. Um, it just has so many uses, both um, offensively and defensively. Um, and it can really be kind of that uh, extra little thing to help you finish off a unit at a key moment. Now, do you find that his strengths as an NCU commander and his tactics cards are strong enough that you sometimes field this list into game modes that seem to uh, lean towards having a battlefield presence? I'll actually end up taking Ramsey. When I'm at a, okay. a really competitive event, uh, a tournament, I will uh, typically take Ramsey for those game modes like Fire and Blood. Um, yep. We're getting extra point for marking units. I think that's just... Um, too much of a benefit to pass over. But in more casual games, I, uh, I tend to take him no matter what. Hmm. Just to get that, that tactics board control. I really like having that extra activation. I really like the ability to um, pick my opponent's hand apart. And uh, yeah, sometimes just getting to that uh, sweet spot with um, eight activations is where you really want to be. Absolutely. And then I guess for Ramsey then, as your, your battlefield commander, um, kind of your strengths and weaknesses that you're looking at for him, uh, how do you, what, what are you, what are you liking about Ramsey? He's re really probably one of the most aggressively oriented commanders in the game. Uh, he can really mess around with uh, tempo. I'm trying to remember the name of the uh, tactics card, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Talking of referencing a, a Song of Ice and Fire CC uh, article that we had uh, recently written. So, Colby, you're getting a, getting a shout out there. Oh, that was a great article. <laughs> and yeah, so, I mean, he really is aggressive. And I think it's interesting to see how much, um, you know, this idea of like panic tokens and panic tests play into this faction. I think his order, uh, flay them all. When an enemy engaged with this unit fails a panic test, one enemy, one other enemy within long range of that unit must make a panic test. Who are you putting Ramsey in as a unit? Do you put him in cutthroats? Because in my limited time messing around with the going pure neutral, um, my cutthroats have died very quickly. <laughs> like I, I think I might be using them wrong, but uh, where do you put Ramsey in your forces? I'll definitely put him in, um, in cutthroats. I've seen a lot of folks use him in Bastards Girls, which is all well and good. And uh, if that's your preferred play style, definitely do that. Um, but I, I find the secret to doing well uh, with the neutral faction as it exists right now, uh, as fragile as it is, is to actually hang back a little bit. Uh, you have okay. you have Starks, you have Free Folk, who all um, have fantastic threat proje projection. You can easily expect a Stark to be able to, uh, with the right tactics card, charge from 12 inches. So right. being able to sit just outside of that zone um, can really go a long way for making sure that you're the one who's getting the first charge. And then you've got the uh, Theon Greyjoy Reek attachment as well for zero points with his order set an example. When this unit activates, one enemy within long range becomes panicked. Roll a die on a five plus kill Theon. Uh, have you found that to be really essential for getting more panic tokens out there? Or do you feel like this faction already has enough ways to get panic tokens out there that it's sort of a... Uh, a nice benefit, but not really adding much more to what you're already doing. I think uh, uh, Theon is fantastic. Um, it's an essential resource uh, to spread panic. Uh, most of your uh, commander-specific cards will trigger off of that. 
So really having a way to just spit out a token at um, long range every turn is fantastic. Uh, you're going to get that with both the uh, commander version of Ramsey and his uh, three-point unit attachment. I do think he's worth it. In my experience, he, I always roll a five or six, though. And, uh, a <laughs> first how, activation that's how it works, right? Yeah. <laughs> Every time he dies right away. And any favorite tactics cards you're using with Ramsey? You know, Cruel Methods, start of the round, one friendly unit may make a free attack action. If this does not destroy an enemy, it must make a panic test and suffer a negative three to its roll. If it's a House Bolton unit, it may use its highest attack value and may also reroll any misses. Cruel Methods is a fantastic card in that even if your opponent is going first that round, remember it is start of the round, so you get to make an attack before they get to do anything else, activate an NCU or unit. Um, so if you really have one of those clutch combats where it's really close, you're each down to the last couple models in the unit, um, Cruel Methods can completely swing the game in your favor. I mean, that's, and there's some, you know, I just thinking of like, you know, bastard girls or something like that. And it's like, oh God. If you can manage to uh, uh, trigger the Sycamore off of that, mm -hmm. I found that to be really useful. Uh, you do have to take that minus three panic test after the range attack though. So if the um, uh, Tracker's bow isn't able to kill them, uh, it's at least mitigated by their, their five plus morale. Yeah. Ooh. But I mean, I guess that's the trade-off. A lot of these cards sometimes have a uh, a drawback like that. Hmm. What about a uh, sadistic game? Start of a friendly turn. I think this is reference to the Michael Chanel meme. Every time he says he's uh, going to reveal a unit and he provides something less than helpful or not a, basically not the full Tully Cavalier stats, I feel like there's always posted a, a, a card of him with like his photo saying sadistic games, Michael Chanel. But at the start of a friendly turn, your opponent chooses one of the following. You declare targets only after they have chosen. Up to two enemy combat units become panicked, or one enemy combat unit suffers D3 plus two automatic hits. I would say always take the hits. Um, again, panicked is such a valuable resource for the faction. Um, and the key is to not uh, being in a position where uh, your opponent's given a good choice. You want it to always, I would save this card, or it's always going to be a bad choice. Hmm, okay. So maybe you have it helpfully uh, take out a unit that is skinned down to its last legs with a D3 plus two automatic hits might really swing the tide of that engagement. I tend to see... Um, Stark players who are maybe running uh, a lot of Umber Berserkers. This uh, can easily okay. take out a rank. And yeah. uh, Lannister Pyromancers really hate this as well. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. So basically, you're trying to trick them into giving you up to two enemy combat and become panicked. That tends to be the uh, better option. Again, those panicked um, tokens can be used to. Activate Our Blades Are Sharp, which is another great card of his. When a friendly unit attacks with melee, if targeting a panicked enemy, uh, this attack gains plus one to hit and rolls plus two dice. If this is a House Bolton unit, the defender also becomes vulnerable. So um, even with Ramsey, you want to be spreading panic as much as possible to 
make the most of his cards. Yeah, man. So that's plus one to hit, plus two dice. So I guess that is where you're going to see even the Bolton Cutthroats coming in at five points, hitting at hitting on what a two plus with ten dice. Ten dice. Yeah. And if the enemy hasn't activated, they're also vulnerable. Ooh, yeah, that starts to really add up. Uh, and I, the um, Bolton Cutthroats are um, deceptively powerful, uh, especially if your opponent allows you to get a charge off with them. Uh, with this card, you can easily wipe a unit uh, with the Panic Test. Yeah. Ugh, as a Free Folk player, I shudder. <laughs> you have uh, hordes of... Uh, free folk to die for you so that's true that is true but uh they do that though <laughs> they do that uh so any uh before we jump into maybe your sample list like any overall tactics or strategies you're generally going for when you're playing um neutrals like for the free folk i've been you know one of the things is against like maybe less experienced players it's always great when you can like lure the opponent onto your side of the battlefield or get them to come like a little bit too deep with a unit so you can engulf it and just like drown it out. Or you get those things where they, for some reason are coming into like almost your deployment zone and you're bringing units right back on to like pounce on them. What's, what's the general game plan using like the tactics deck for, or just the general, you know, what's the general overall strategy you're trying to go for with your neutral faction? I definitely feel like the neutral faction is one that really benefits from their tactics deck. Uh, there's mm. just so many great cards in there um, from you know, some of the like, best. And maybe you can help me out here, though. I just feel like when I their tactics cards do so much, it's like so versatile, but I don't really see it doing anything like, you know, it doesn't have like any one like clear thing it leans on fully, in my opinion. You know, what are some cards that you're always excited to see when you have in your hand? Like, is there, you know, you, you pull your starting hand, you're like, oh, great. This is like what I was looking for. I really like to see Wealth and Cunning. Um, that's just uh, such a versatile card. Uh, so when a friendly unit attacks or is attacked, in each case after the attack dice are rolled, if, the atta if attacking, deal an additional D3 automatic hits or plus three hits if you control the tactics board, the tactics zone on the tactics board. If you're defending, automatically block D3 hits or three hits if you control the Wealth zone. So that yeah, that's I think that's a clear example of like a, such a versatile card though, right? Like definitely. Um, I mean, it can be that um, extra few hits you need to really take down a unit, or giving you a couple blocks to keep one of your objective holders alive. And so there's kind of this like spattering I feel like of tactics in the tactics deck where you know you've got all these like you know you got that's a great card, but it doesn't necessarily synergize or it's not like there's other cards like that. And so maybe that's the strength of the neutral faction in a weird way is that it's got kind of like a cookie cutter tactics deck, where it's like that a bunch of different things you can plug together. That's not what cookie cutter means, does it? It's got a, <laughs> it's got a Lego style. I don't know. It's, it's a, yeah, like a toolbox. Like tool, there we go. Thank yeah. you. Toolbox, Legos, cookies. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, it's got a kind of a, a toolbox approach, but I guess then really it favors you knowing like when's the right time to use these things. There's definitely a little bit of a, a learning curve to it, as especially recommend to kind of newer players is to try not to save the cards too much. Just use them when they come up. Um, and then you are going to get opportunities with cards um, like Cunning Scheme, which allow you to 
return attack this card from your discard pile to your hand. But like, what are your, I mean, and maybe your strategy has evolved. It's been a while since I saw you at Captain Con, but I think I recall that you would take the first few rounds of the game to really build up like a solid hand of tactics cards. Is that still something you're kind of doing? That's something I must always do. If I'm going first, I will typically grab that zone. Um, not only are you gaining an additional two cards, you're preventing your opponent from doing the same. And in later rounds, I'll try and keep that hand as full as possible. And so then I guess then you really do have options for every situation that you can respond to. I, I mean, you have great ways to um, re-roll failed panic tests. Uh, the neutral faction also has the best heal in the game in the form of uh, Spoils of War, which can allow you to restore up to eight wounds across any number of friendly units. Oh man, that is Spoils of War. That's that's really powerful. <laughs> like using that on a stray dire wolves to get back a whole unit of cutthroats. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that that really hurts. Then, <laughs> oh my god. There's nothing like uh, the promise of fur-lined boots to get your men fighting a little better. <laughs> well, so let's talk about maybe a sample list that you're running, and uh, we'll build off of that. I'll typically start with my core of uh, three units of Bolton Cup throats, uh, no attachments for them. Um, and I'll typically add a unit of Bastards Girls and one unit of Flayed Men. All right. And that's what I mean. Like, this doesn't, I mean, I guess if it was anything, if you'd say it's spammy, it's Bolton Cup throats. But I mean, there's really not much else for you to put in your list here. Right. And this on paper doesn't look like anything incredibly unique, right? There's no like, oh, there's like, here's the gotcha. Right. So what are you running for, like, attachments in your units, then? Uh, this list actually doesn't run any attachments. I wanted Whoa. to maximize the number of activations I could take um, with Flayed Men. And that's really a consideration when you take them, is if you take a unit of Flayed Men, you're basically losing one other unit um, or two five-point units and maybe a handful of attachments. So they really are a heavy investment. Um, and so then you're loading up your your non-combat units. So we're definitely going to take uh, Roost Bolton, Lord of the Dreadfort, and then our two other uh, NCU options, which are going to be Lord Varys the Spider and Peter Baelish Littlefinger. And we actually didn't talk about them earlier. Some might say that these are two of the stronger NCUs out there. What do you think? Your thoughts on, for example, Varys? Varys is a fantastic... He's definitely sort of a uh, feast or famine type of NCU. You'll have some games where his ability never goes off, and then you'll have games where it'll work every single time. <laughs> yeah, depending on the dice gods, right? It's it's always when you really want it to go off then that you roll your one or your two. I almost uh, uh, joke that he's gotten stronger ever since they got rid of the uh, re-roll. It used to be you could spend an additional token to roll again. Now um, that the stakes are that high, he just he just makes it work? Well, he, he tends to last a little bit longer. Sometimes you'll spend two tokens preventing an effect that wasn't that powerful. Right. And now he uh, he tends to last a little bit longer. And, and therefore, like, threaten later into the game. Yeah, he can be... There's nothing worse when you've got your master plan and then suddenly 
you know, your key ability or, you know, your zone effect that you're hoping for no longer works. I think um, smart opponents will typically try and activate their units early rather than uh, risking, uh, let's say, a free attack or free maneuver getting canceled, um, which allows you to kind of uh, play the tactics board to your favor a little bit better. Yeah. Now, do you, you know, so playing against this, I always find it really interesting trying to figure out, and I guess it really comes down to like knowing the player. Um, do you ever find that you feel like your opponent is trying to bait you early on in the game to get you to spend those tokens? Or do you feel pretty confident at this point that you just like wait and you know when the moment's right to use it? There'll usually be a few tells. I'll, I'll like to cancel other people drawing tactics cards. I really like to maintain that card advantage over my opponent. Mm -hmm. So that'll be one I'll typically go for. Oh, interesting. Or, or for like a stark sudden charge, anything that's right. going to give you right. really good utility off of that activation, um, being able to prevent something like that um, is usually pretty key. And then on the other hand, you got Peter Baelish, Littlefinger, uh, master of the game. When Peter claims a zone in the tactics board, he may replace its effect with the effect of any unclaimed zone. That's another great NCU. He's a really fantastic piece. There's just so many uses for him. Um, you can play him kind of defensively where you're blocking your opponent's key zones and claiming the ones you want. Uh, you can use him to kind of double dip on specific zones if your opponent lets you get away with it. Would you um, ever, do you use that to get your tactics hand up too? Um, I love it when I can pull it off. It always feels a little bit risky by grabbing something else and triggering that zone because I... Uh, a smart opponent will uh, respond by grabbing that zone and blocking it again. But when I can pull it off, getting that uh, four card swing is uh, absolutely yeah. amazing. I just feel like that's there's so many mind games that you can do there. He's great too. I, I love um, using him to trigger your tactics cards as well. And then uh, grabbing the attack zone instead. Uh, uh, for example, getting the automatic... Um, Plus three hits is always a great combination with him. Oh. <laughs> uh, wealth and cunning. Yeah. Jeez. There, there's a lot of uses for him. All right. So then you've got Roos Bolton, Lord Varus, and Littlefinger. And that puts you at 40 of 40. So no NCUs. Uh, sorry, no attachments, but some Bolton cutthroats that can do some serious work. They're getting in there. Your Bassett Girls, and then your Flayed Men. Now, are you using the Flayed Men to be a little bit of a tankier element? Like, are you going to use them to get out there early and claim an objective and sit on it? Or are you using them to try and get a lot of work done? Like, what's your... How do you use them effectively? It really depends on uh, the game mode. For example, Clash of Kings, I'll almost always send them to the center. Okay, yep. Interesting. Uh, they do require maneuver zone uh, support in order to claim that but they're very hard to get off of that center objective. Right, and, uh, and that'll buy you plenty of time for your backup. And, um, you know, if they die, the sooner they die, the sooner you get to bring them back. Right. And really having that maneuverability is key for getting them back into play. Uh, that free cavalry maneuver is uh, probably the best part about them for me. A big mistake I'll see with newer players is that they'll run the flayed men out there on their own way ahead of the rest of their main battle line and they usually end right. up getting isolated and killed i tried um 
I try to hold them back a little bit. Yeah, I think that's the <laughs> the uh, sometimes people ask, you know, people complain about the flayed men. They'll be like, how do you deal with this unit? And it's like, I, f I feel like it's a it's such a tough unit to talk about, because honestly, when I often f have faced them, uh, it has been by people that have done just that. And the flayed men, they're isolated and you can gang up on them and kind of tear them down or at least like be tying them up with six points of unit. And they're this giant 10 point unit. They're not that bad, but it's, I think when people hang back and they're using it like in a really strong supporting role, that they become a little bit more of a nightmare because you're trying to manage all these other crises. Then you've got this giant behemoth unit going around that you know you can't deal with unless you have a significant amount of resources. That's definitely the way to play them. Another trick I'll do is um, hold the back in deployment. Again, there's uh, such a perception that they're such a powerful unit that um, people will really base their whole deployment about around counter deploying the played men. Yeah. So being able to put them in a position, uh, maybe off to one of the flanks where you can then spend the first um, round or two repositioning them can really leave an expensive unit of your opponents kind of uh, out in the boonies. Yeah. Man. All right, well, I will post this list. I'll post this list in the show notes of this episode. And I think if you're starting out and you're just getting into a Song of Ice and Fire, this isn't that bad of a, a list to get. You, know, you got your Heroes box, three units of Cutthroats, a Bastards Girls unit, and a Flademan unit. And those are all units that if you buy other factions down the line, you can work into most of them. So each one of these units on their own is, is going to be a useful miniature for your collection. Definitely. And uh, especially for Lannister players, too, who don't have um, a wealth of five-point options, mm -hmm. um, especially playing an aggressive panic-based list, uh, Bolton Cutthroats is one. So um, I plan to be playing a little bit more of uh, Lannisters in the future. And almost all my lists oh, feature unit of cutthroats. So, uh, and yeah, so, think... uh, are you are you excited for you know the possible future Stormcrow information? When we start to see what those units kind of look like and do. So the Stormcrow Lieutenant actually looks like a great choice. Um, improved armaments. Will you control the wealth zone? This unit's attack rolls plus one die and gains sundering. Oof. Yeah, and then I wonder what other sort of units are going to build off of that, too. So where would you put that Stormcrow Lieutenant, I guess? It's really um, tempting to put him in Cutthroats. As much as I like to keep them cheap, I think it would be a really great way to um, kind of push their output um, really kind of into the next level there. Yeah, and I guess what's interesting is, man, I'm really excited for the Stormcrows to find out more about them. But, you know, we're still kind of waiting for those those Blackguard units. I feel like if they just got a little bit more love, they got a little bit more units released, they would this, this army could really open up a lot. I think down the road, we'll see that neutral will be a really strong faction. Their tactics deck is already Yeah, do, do you ever so worry good. about that? I, sometimes I worry that just by its own nature of that, like, each one of these units can be fielded in another army. Uh, so I guess my fear goes both ways. Number one, I worry that like if each one of these units can be put in another army, that means they always have to balance these units, you know, for the worst case scenario. So they don't do some sort of crazy synergy with some faction that's yet unreleased that is game breaking. So maybe the units will be like underpowered. But at the same time, you're going to have this, you have this army that like keeps getting these kind of weird odds and ends added in. And does it run the risk of maybe eventually just being this faction that has 
like all the good stuff. Right. Well, I definitely but, think there's um, some inherent faction weaknesses with their um, lack of mobility and right. then um, kind of their dependence on uh, specific zones. Well, Steve here, like with the Stormcrow Lieutenant, always wanting to have that wealth zone can be a liability a lot of times. So even if we down the line got some Stormcrow units, but they needed the wealth zone, that might be challenging because that's a very predictable and thing you're going to want to shut down in general anyway. Right. Um, yeah. I also noticed the lack of um, three-point NCUs, uh, which is actually huge for list building. Yeah, so it sounds like in Massachusetts, you guys have some some strong A Song of Ice and Fire communities. Yeah, we've had um, a fantastic community out here, and it's been growing um, you know, almost every week. Uh, people can come into the shop, and uh, more often than not, somebody's grabbing a pickup gang of Song of Ice and Fire. So I think that's really uh, kind of inviting for people who might be interested in getting into the game. And then, so that's off the wall games. And what town is that in again? Uh, we're in uh, Hadley, Massachusetts. Our, our local community just started off with maybe two or three people who backed the Kickstarter. Uh, and just playing games at the local store really uh, increased interest for the game. So there's like regular play, just getting out there and people come into the store and just see that there's a community behind it. And they, they see the people are there. They see the miniatures are nice. Um, we've actually got a ton of new people um, into wargaming who have maybe been uh, put off by the hobby aspect of it before. It's kind ah, of been okay. a, a big draw to more of our traditional um, board gaming community. And then also the aspect of the uh, tactics cards is something that might be really familiar for a lot of Magic the Gathering players. Yeah. I think that's one of the cool things about this game is that it really is a, you know, a bridge between the board gaming and other gaming communities and the war gaming community. All right. Well, you know, I got to see if I can get up there. It's only a few hours drive. I've got to get up there and, and get some games in at some point. Um, maybe later in August, I can squeeze some time in. Yeah, that'd be great. We, we should have another uh, tournament coming up in August. Um, exact date is uh, to be announced. But uh, yeah, oh, that's our, good. Our now last, that my, uh, I'm, I'm feeling so much more confident now that the the Free Folk Heroes box two is out and it's amazing. I don't know if you've gotten many games against it. I've actually uh, picked up a Free Folk starter a couple weeks ago and managed to get a few games in with them. Yes, um, they've been really fun. Yeah, they are really fun, and I'm uh, I, it's it's one of those things where it's like I'm just it's not typically a faction that I a style that I play. And so it's been really fun trying to learn all the different approaches to it. And uh, the Heroes Box 2 now, though, is just like, just crack things wide open. And I just keep finding, you know, it's like nothing fancy. It's just like, oh, like this thing does that. Like, you know, it's like, it makes sense. Then when you go to do it and you're like, oh, this is really good. It's like, Harmer can send my unit, like how far? It's like, oh my, or like this unit can deploy behind an enemy unit now, or it's just so much goodness. So I'll probably bring something up and get into trouble with it, trying to do something fancy that is overly complicated. But it'd be fun to fun to get at some games in with you guys. Oh, that'd be fun. And uh, yeah, we'd be happy to have you. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And if anybody has questions, if you're in the On the Table Gaming Discord, Mike from Off the Wall, make sure you, you grab his ear and uh, 
ask them some questions, and maybe down the line we can get you to write a, a tactics talk that we can put up on a Song of Ice and Fire CC as the uh, the Northeast neutral guru with you know so many games under your belt with this faction and your expertise. Um, maybe you could help out some of the newer players who are looking into getting into Song of Ice and Fire or the Neutrals faction. All those Bolton fans out there, you know who you are. Yeah, I'll get make sure we uh, you know use you as a resource. Absolutely, and um, you know all the better to kill all the Stark players out there. So. There we go. I can get behind some of that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, in the meantime, thanks guys for listening, and I hope you get your miniatures on the table.